0: or you can find us at our website, Medorchurch.com It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today.
1: We follow the Holy Ghost. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, 2 Samuel chapter number 13. Verse number 1, this is a passage I really don't think I've preached a whole lot from in this chapter, but there are some power-packed words in the Word here of this chapter. Praise God. 2 Samuel chapter 13 and verse number 1, when you're there, say, I'm there. And it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Full stop. I want you to look at this verse, verse 1, and I want you to find the first name mentioned in this verse. It's Absalom, right? Now this passage deals a lot with the story of Tamar. It deals heavily with the story of Amnon, but the first name mentioned is not Amnon or Tamar or David. The first name mentioned is Absalom, and he is going to be the subject of this message. For a few minutes, allow me to preach to you on the Absalom Syndrome. The Absalom Syndrome. Lord, all glory, honor, and praise goes to you. We ask you to speak to us and let us hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. We receive your path, your plan, and let us walk in the way you so desire and choose for us. I thank you in advance of directing our footsteps. I thank you in advance of answering our prayers and altering the course of our very lives. We thank you and give you praise, Lord God. The church says in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. David was a good king. David was a man after God's own heart. He had many children. Hallelujah. And David had two specific children named Absalom and Tamar. They were brother and sister. They grew up together. They were raised in the palace of King David. They heard the sweet psalmist of Israel add chapters to the Bible. They watched their father pen words that are now a part of holy writ. They saw this man's walk with God. They saw him offer sacrifice. They saw him sing the songs of Zion. They knew what it was to give your whole heart unto Jehovah God. And I thank God we still have examples like King David here in the house of God. I thank God for every man of God who leads his family in spirit and in true worship. I thank God for every man of God in this church who prays, who kneels down at the altar, who leads by example his family and his household, just like King David did here in the Holy Word. So Absalom and Tamar both saw that. Now David also had other children by other wives and Footnote, just like last night, don't be getting any ideas here from the Old Testament of marrying multiple people at once. Bless God, hallelujah. Don't be doing that here in the state of Indiana, hallelujah. So David had other children, one named Amnon. And Amnon had a different mother than Tamar and Absalom. He was a half-brother to Tamar and Absalom. Same father, different mothers. And Amnon, it says in this passage, He loved her. He loved his half-sister, Tamar. Now, I won't go into all these details here, but even back then, that was wrong. That was not right to do back then. I know it was a different culture, a different time period, but that wasn't okay. Hallelujah. He knew that wasn't right. He was tempted But he had not given in yet. Key distinction here in the kingdom of God. Just because you're tempted, it doesn't mean you've sinned yet. It doesn't mean you've crossed the line. You have a choice. You can say no. You can draw that line in the sand and say, I will not give in to hell's schemes and hell's potholes and hell's pitfalls and traps and lies toward me. No. I won't go through with it. No. I won't give in to temptation. No. I won't do that! Uh, Amnon was holding out and holding firm. He was. Now, old-fashioned sermon I heard about 30 years ago covered this, called Amnon Had a Friend. You'll read in verse 3 that Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. Now, wouldn't that make Jonadab Amnon's first cousin? I believe, if I'm right, that his first cousin, Jonadab, his friend, it says he was a very subtle man. Now, I wrote in the margins of my Bible, that means sneaky in English. I kind of think that means he might have been a politician. That's a whole different sermon right there, though. Hallelujah. So... He had a friend named Jonadab who was very subtle. And Jonadab basically talks Amnon into sinning. Jonadab talks Amnon into giving in to temptation. Now, why would he do that? Why would any man talk somebody else into doing something you know good and well that was wrong? Maybe Jonadab had his own temptations, and if he gave in, then Jonadab could give in too. Maybe the reason your friend over there is trying to talk you into sinning is because they want to sin. I won't let my life be a lab rat for their desires of the flesh. I won't let my life be some kind of science experiment for them to push me into places that God doesn't want me to go. I want God's will, I want to be pure, I want to be acceptable in the eyes of my maker. I won't let somebody else talk me into choices that God does not want. As the psalmist said, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. The entire book of Psalms begins with that opening salvo. I will not walk according to the words of ungodly counsel. I want to be cautious who I heed, whose words I let direct my footsteps. I want to see who God is speaking through and speaking to. I want to receive true words of wisdom from heaven above. So Amnon, he received this temptation counsel from Jonadab. Now, he still hadn't given in. Somewhere around verse 14, he sets this trap. He sets a scheme to catch Tamar. He acts like he's sick. And Tamar, he asks his father to send Tamar with some food. And Tamar's half-sister brings her half-brother Amnon some food. He catches her. And she tries to talk him out of it. She tells him this is not a good idea. But no one can dissuade him from that course of wrongness. And so, according to the scriptures, he would not hearken to her voice. He forced her and he lay with her. This was wrong. This was bad. And she was wronged. She was done poorly by somebody she trusted and cared about. Now time out here while I'm preaching. I would venture to guess that many of us here in the church can sympathize with Tamar because we have trusted people in our inner circle, and we have seen our very own Amnons do things to us that we never anticipated a friend would treat us like that. We have seen individuals we put our love and compassion into, invested time into, then turn around and try and stab us in the back. I bet you know how Tamar felt because I bet that you likewise have felt that same way, that you have felt the sting of betrayal. Tamar took it hard. Verse number 19, Tamar put ashes on her head, rent her garment of diverse colors that was on her. She went on crying. She goes to her brother Absalom's house. Her brother asked her, her brother Absalom said, Did Amnon do this? Hath Amnon, my brother, been with thee? And Tamar goes to her brother Absalom's house and remains desolate. We read in following verses that she was there for about two years. For two years, Absalom watches the sister he loves in sorrow, in mourning. And every time he sees Tamar, a broken woman, you know Absalom had one thought on his mind. Absalom thought, I hate Amnon. I hate what he did. Amnon was wrong. Tamar was wronged. She was done poorly by somebody she loved. I bet his heart was stirred in righteous indignation. He knew that she'd got a bad shake in life. Yes, King David heard about all this, and he was mad in verse 21. What did he do? Not too much. I bet that made Absalom even more angry. Hallelujah. To see somebody wronged and to see the person who could have done something about it. To just sit in his seat of authority and just look on everybody and not act once. Verse 22, Absalom spake unto his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad. For Absalom, say hated, hated, hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. And this is where the trouble starts. You see, Amnon was right to be mad. He was right to to be angry. But... As crazy as what was done to Tamar was, and as wrong as it was, there's a problem when I begin to hate someone else because that seed of hatred will grow fruit that I don't want to consume in my spiritual life. I cannot allow hatred to have a root of bitterness springing up and bringing forth things that I don't want to come to pass in me. I don't want to sow hatred for any reason and for anything that's been done to me. No, I do not. Want to hate anybody or to hate my brother. This is where Absalom's bad road begins. A few verses later, somewhere around verse 28, two years passed. For two years Absalom premeditated how he would get revenge. And Absalom lays a trap. He has a big old to do where he invites all of his brothers and sisters, all of his siblings, and David allows all of the siblings, all of his sons and daughters, to follow Absalom out here away from the main city to a remote place. And Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Mark ye now when Absalom's heart is merry with wine. And when I say unto you, Smite Amnon, then kill him. Time out. He got other people involved. Because murdering somebody always involves more people than you will ever anticipate at the beginning. When someone hates somebody else, they always want to drag you into it, you know? They want to make you a part of their gossip scheme. They want to make you a part of their little entourage of bad talk. They want to run somebody down, and they want you to agree with them. They want you to bless their hatred. They want you to have the joy of anger with them. They want you to run somebody else down because they're mad. They want you to be mad too with them. Hallelujah. He got his servants involved with him. Now, before I go any further... Look at something carefully here. You heard me preach about wine last night, so you know drinking wine was a bad idea. It was wrong, even in the Old Testament. Amnon's heart would get merry with wine. Why was Amnon drinking wine? Why was Amnon getting drunk? Maybe he was feeling conviction. Maybe he was feeling guilty about what he did. Maybe he was trying to drink away his sorrows and his pain. He knew who he was. He knew what he had done. Maybe he wasn't that far away from repentance. Maybe he wasn't that far away of coming to the house of God and asking God to redeem his soul and his life. Maybe he was this close to turning his whole life around. That is the problem with murdering your brother. I lose the opportunity of restoration. I can't restore somebody If I have driven a knife into their back, I can't bring them back if I have killed them with my words. I can't do that. I can't hate somebody else. I want you to make it. I want you to be restored. I want you to come back into God's holy will. But I can't do that if I kill you. He gets his servants to do the deed. His servants kill Amnon. He doesn't get his own hands dirty himself. So now here, now Absalom is a murderer because Amnon has died. You can't do this. You cannot hate somebody. It will make you a murderer. First John three fifteen: Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. as 1 John chapter 3 and verse 15 right there. No murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. And whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Hatred will always lead you into ending someone's life, someone's ministry, someone's fellowship. You are ending the person they are because you are having a bad day. Because you are having bitterness and jealousy and covetousness. Something in your heart has driven a knife into that individual. Uh, I don't want to build that weapon of death. I don't want to forge that knife or that sword. No, instead, you can make a different choice. You can offer pardon. Now, Absalom did not do that. And here is where I get my title, the Absalom syndrome. Once you kill the first person, it's a lot easier to kill the next person. Once you murder the first brother, it's a little bit on the easy side to kill the next person and the next person and the next person and the next person. And And after a while, you'll forget the reason why you even killed that first individual. You just know that you and you alone have the right to end somebody else. It'll spiral out of your hands. It'll avalanche out of control. It'll turn you and twist you and pull on your heart and make you into a person that you don't want to be i don't want to be a man of pain and hatred i don't want to be a son of bitterness and jealousy no i want to be a son of god i want to be a man of pardon absalom there was a great battle at one point where absalom fought his father and his father's followers you will read in second samuel chapter 18 and verse number seven That when Absalom and his armies fought David and his father, many, many people died. Footnote, once you kill a brother, it won't be too long before you'll start attacking your spiritual fathers. Once you kill your brother, you'll start attacking the man of God now. Now you got a problem with the preacher. Now you don't like the evangelists and the missionaries and the bishops. You don't want to hear from anybody else. And if anybody says something you disagree with now, you are this close to going Amnon on them too. Absalom, he fought a battle against his own father. Now... Somewhere in the book of Numbers, it is recorded that the army of Israel that fought with Joshua and that fought with Moses numbers somewhere around a half million people. I don't know if the army was that large back then, but at least 100,000. At least 100,000 men would have fought with Absalom. With David, it was just him and the mighty men. About 600 maybe people, six 700 tops versus over 100,000 people. According to those odds, they all should be dead. But it doesn't matter how many are on your side, it matters if God is with you. And if God is with you, the numbers don't have to add up. If God is on your side, your battle can be victorious. You can come out on top of this. No matter how many are against you, you plus God is a majority any day of the week. If God is for you, who can be against you? You will win. You will live and not die. You shall be victorious. Because God and God alone, his is the only opinion that counts and God blessed David and God was with David and David came out on top against impossible odds and that day there was a great slaughter of 20,000 men and I love that David was victorious I love that David came out on top but why did those 20,000 men have to die why did all of those men lose their lives they lost their lives because at the beginning of all this one man said I am okay to kill my brother. I am judge and jury and arbiter of all past and present and future wrongs. I can decide who lives and who dies, except you can't, Absalom. That's God's job. God is the judge and God alone, and he judges in righteousness and justice on the throne of heaven above. It is not my job. It is his. I give that to the Lord. God rules and reigns. God sees all, and God is the righteous judge. Right. Hallelujah. And now I'm going to read to you the most confusing passage in this entire book. Are you ready? 2 Samuel chapter 15, two passages. First, in chapter 15, verse 16, you will read that King David had ten concubines, all right? And when David headed out of town, when David was on the run from Absalom, he left the ten concubines to take care of his house. Chapter 16 now. In verse number 20. Absalom arrives at David's house. And Absalom asks his counselor, Ahithophel, Give counsel what we shall do. Verse 21. And Hithophel said to him, Go in unto thy father's concubines. What? Which he hath left to keep the house. He tells Absalom to go in unto his father's concubines. And in verse 22, he does it. They spread a tent upon the top of the house in full public view. In the full view of the public, Absalom goes in and forces all ten of his father's concubines. Now hang on. I thought the entire enmeshment, the entire lattice work of Absalom's theology and his morality was that I can kill my brother because my brother raped my sister. I can kill Amnon because Amnon forced Tamar, right? Except now, what Amnon did in private one time, Absalom does in public ten times. That's what hating your brother does. It twists you into some evil caricature of the man of God you used to be. I can't afford that. I can't do that. But preacher, do you know what it feels like to be wronged? Well, have you ever been so mad at somebody that you prayed for God to give them hemorrhoids? Have you ever been so mad at somebody that you asked God to make their feet itch for three weeks, awake and in their dreams? You have been so mad you asked God to give somebody bad dreams of a hundred gorillas yelling at them all night long until they called and said they're sorry? Not saying I did. Not saying I didn't. I've been mad, though. But as the Word of God says, y'all won't remember anything else I preached now, will you? You're just going to remember I prayed for somebody to have a hundred gorillas yelling at them. All right, so I have been mad, but as the Bible says, be angry and sin not. Who are you when you're angry? Being angry is not a sin, it's what you do with your anger. It's what you say when you're angry. It's how you pray when you're angry. What kind of man or lady are you when you're upset, when you're tilted sideways, when you feel yourself teetering and tottering back and forth emotionally? What do you do? What actions do you take? Who will you be? Will I be King Saul who picks up that javelin and throws it at David? Or will I be David in that conversation who is just playing along on his harp ushering in the presence of God with the music will I be King Saul seeking to kill David and sending the armies after him or will I be David who is afraid to cut off the bottom of Saul's robe will I be a Saul or will I be a David (laughs) hallelujah I have that decision to make you are the most like the enemy when you become the accuser of the brothers you are most like God when you say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You are most like the Pharisees when you seek to kill anybody who disagrees with you. You are most like the Apostle Stephen when you cry out, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. They were ending his life, but he wanted them to make heaven. I want somebody to make paradise. I want somebody. And glory, and whatever I have to do, whatever forgiveness I have to offer, let us lay aside every weight, whatever bad somebody's done, whatever schemes I have gone through. I want them to make heaven. I want to love them. Stand with me. Didn't have a long sermon this evening, but God wanted to speak to somebody. I think the message of the salvation And the gospel is a message of repentance. It's a message of pardon. Over and over. In the Old Testament even, God, His mercy is made new every morning. His mercy endureth forever. God has always been a God of mercy. I've traveled for over seven years full time on the road. I want to tell you the number one and number two issues that kill revival. Gossip unforgiveness. Gossip and unforgiveness are the top two issues that will kill a revival. So let me ask you, what would you give to have your lost loved ones saved? What would you give to have your miraculous prayer answered in the affirmative by God? What would you give to really and truly hold that miracle in your hands? Would you give up your hatred? Would you give up your anger? Your unforgiveness. Whatever bad somebody's already done to you, they're already at Freddy's eating cheeseburgers, drinking milkshakes, and we're over here mad saying, I hate what they did to me. They moved on and we're the ones who's in a cage, trapped by their decisions. And you will always be a slave to their decisions as long as you are angry and hate them. Tonight, I'm asking you to unlock the cage. Tonight, I am asking you to end all of it could we have a whole church old-fashioned prayer meeting right now these altars are open and I'm inviting you to come and make your way up front I want you to lay all of it down all the unforgiveness every issue every circumstance every person who did bad to you even though you're right I'm asking you to give up your right to be right. Even though you were wronged, and they are wrong, I am asking you to let them go. Pardon them of all sin. God, I release them. God, I release their hold on me. God, I release that corner of my heart now. I forgive them. How will it feel to never think about that bad day anymore? How will it feel if it never came up again and was gone in Jesus' name? You would feel free. You would feel weightless. You would feel joy from heaven. That's what God is offering you, joy. Unbound, unweighted, unfettered joy. You can have it. It is available. It is real for you.
0: our ministry.